32 counties. United by people. My name is Una. And my name is Andrea. And this is... United United Ireland. Ireland. (laughs) Every week on United Ireland, we go under the hood of issues in Ireland beyond the headlines, bringing you smart people who know what they're talking about. This episode, we are talking about the small business crisis that is happening in Ireland for multiple reasons. Staff shortages uh, underpinned by many things, including our rental and housing crisis, rising energy costs, inflation, insurance, all that palaver. A lot of customers feel that the costs are being passed on to them, but we're going to talk to two small business owners, including Andrea, about what the reality is right now and how the crisis can be addressed. It's going to be interesting. If you missed it, bonus podcast, Lawrence McKeown uh, was on the podcast last week. We have an extensive interview with him um, about his time uh, uh, as a prisoner in the H-blocks, on the hunger strike. Um, And it's all on the back of his new memoir, Time Shadows. So I'd really recommend listening to that. And of course, we have the Sunday Soothe, which is exclusive to our Patreon supporters. If you want to join the United Ireland crew, patreon.com forward slash United Ireland. Of course, we have been on our uh, assembly election specials. They have concluded, as has the election. Um, what, What are the top lines of the outcome of that, Andrea, do you think? Um, I am really fascinated by the, the by the framing and the conversations and everything that's happened. Obviously, Sinn Féin came out as the biggest party, uh, which means the DUP would be taking the deputy uh, first, the deputy minister, first minister role, which is symbolic as it's equal. But they won't go in. The UK are being like, go, go, and fucking join to do the government. We do not want to have to deal with your shit and they're like well the UK have to sort this out they don't care just let them whatever anyway so uh, the, but what I think is really interesting is how a, a lot of the conversation is like oh well like the rise of Sinn Féin when actually Sinn Féin only became the biggest party because of the DUP's losses and the spreading of unionism out to different parties so, and what the real thing for me was was the rise of alliance and um, and but also the rise of TUV. So there was a lot of like more hard line uh, cases, people going more traditional, but also the majority of people where the change seems to have been is like, we just want to get on their lives. Yeah, I think as well, like that, that, that thing, you know, obviously the, the Sinn Féin getting the most seats is seismic and people are talking about, but the real story is the Alliance Party. And I think that that can be true and also not true because the real story really is, you know, big picture what this means for Irish unity. And in a weird way, I think there is kind of like a unity paradox going on where the more neutral ground expands, the more likely Irish unity becomes because as I've been saying for a long time, in a weird way, um, the less uh, Sinn Féin are central to the discourse around Irish unity, the more likely it is that it will happen. Uh, that's not about an argument for centrism. It's just about the fact that, as we know, social movements and political movements and and all those kind of things, the more expansive they are, the more porous they are, the more they accommodate way more people with diverse points of view and desires, the more likely it is they are successful. And I do think that the discourse around Irish unity in the coming decade will actually move away from nationalism and be more concerned about systemic change and what uh, the potential for for creating a new constitution, new systems would be. And I think that that is a really kind of exciting 
proposition um, for various reasons, and particularly with regards to generational shift with people wanting to rethink and redo how Ireland works. So, um, yeah. We should do an episode of how to write a constitution. Boom. I've always wanted to write a constitution because it's, it's our one is a bit mental. But I think also the biggest story also around the this election is not just what's happening in Ireland, but also the what's happening with the uh, United Kingdom falling apart and how this has brought that on even further. Yeah, Nicola Sturgeon straight out the traps being like, you're Sinn Féin, basically. <laughs> Let's talk about, you know, the whole UK thing. Um but interesting to see the foreign co- coverage as well, the world kind of waking up to um, the ascent of Sinn Féin, North and South and all that kind of stuff. 32 women elected to the Assembly, 58 dudes. Um, so, yeah. Now, it's time for the State of the Nation. Little thing called the National Maternity Hospital doesn't seem to have settled. <laughs> uh, it like it's god i'm speechless clearly not very helpful on a podcast it's been absolutely so frustrating to watch the like the gaslighting and absolute like like almost infantilizing of any discourse that is questioning what is a legal document and um, to be like, guys, come on now. Is this what you want? We won't get any hospital if you don't just go along with what's going on. And how suddenly this has been going on for so long. And how suddenly it's like, we, we, we don't have time to change this. We It's happening. It's like you have had a long time and it's been called out for a long time. And now just because it's become a mainstream issue, you're literally going on every radio station there is going, actually, it's great. It's great. Yeah. The kind of there's no plan B uh, rhetoric from government is always a kind of evidence that something has been messed up in the early stages. It's kind of got to twofold now. It's like, number one, the symbolic or very real uh, influence um, on clinical procedures with regards to religious influence. And then the second one around who owns this place, the leasehold, calling a lease ownership and why it isn't a public um, public uh, building owned by the state. Um, I don't see how fears can be assuaged when you have people like Roisin Shortall, like Simon McGar, like Peter Boylan, you know, really kind of focusing on the facts and Micheál Martin and Stephen Donnelly focusing on assurances. I mean, the reality is this is also about trust in government, right? Because I don't think a lot of people really trust what Stephen Donnelly says when he's trying mm. to assure people because he has um, repeatedly shown that he often doesn't actually know what's going on in his department, case in point, Robert Watt, and has a particular style of rhetoric that isn't exactly um, reassuring. Uh, other other State of the Nation things, um, news that data centers will be able to connect directly to renewable energy farms uh, this may mark the first time the power lines would be privatized in the state. I think I'm writing a piece about that at the moment, so we might come back to that. And in local news, uh, Press of Bohaclea continues apace. Press of both the Topshop building on Stevens Green in Dublin to turn it into a hotel. Um, yeah, seems to be lots of uh, opportunities to, to buy places when you have loads of money, which is how everything works, I guess. Ultimately, that's pretty much obvious. Okay, but I also think it's very symbolic of what's happening to retail, where literally a re- retail units being replaced by service. 
Yeah, as um, Robert Burns, uh, ex-DLR counsel, now in Fingal, said on the podcast that we need to kind of prepare uh, a good while ago that we need to prepare for a post-retail city. Um, that is what's going on. It needs to be about experiences, culture, community, amenities, all of the things we don't uh, have <laughs> that have left. So bit of a bit of a bit of a plan would be good. Okay, now we are going to talk about our topic today. It is the small business crisis. So we've been talking on the podcast about the cost of living crisis, about inflation, about rising energy prices, and also about the specific effects this has on small businesses. As businesses also struggle to hire and retain staff, the sector feeling this acutely are small businesses, particularly across hospitality, but of course not limited to that. So on this episode, we're going to talk about that, what's really going on with small business right now. Customers have their own grievances, of course, as prices rise to meet the cost of, well, everything. But hopefully this conversation will help those who don't run or work in small independent businesses to understand what's actually going on. Andre, of course, is well versed in this area, being a small business owner uh, of Tropical Popical Nail Bar in South William Street in Dublin. Don't think she's ever mentioned that. And we're also joined by Colm Keane, who runs the independent cafe Daddy's in Rialto in Dublin 8, which since it opened in 2019, really epitomizes a thriving small local business, earning so many plaudits in the press. It's constantly on best places to eat lists. And it recently won the Best Cafe in Ireland award. Uh, which is amazing. So I'm going to kind of ask these guys some questions because um, I don't work in 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 this area, but I do have um, some insights from from friends and stuff like that. But I want to kind of get into uh, these guys' expertise to really uh, broadcast what's actually going on. Colm, first, tell us a little short history of Daddy so people uh, can understand if they've never eaten in your delicious cafe. <laughs> um well, Daddy's uh, came into being um, in December 2019. Um, it's in a building that is uh, kind of a unique setup. It's a collaborative um, dual spacing, but but three businesses. So whatever that would be, trio spacing um, and actually quadra spacing now. <laughs> um, so basically there's, um, there's an anchor tenant in this big pub in Rialto. It's a beautiful building and they are the circular and then I rent the uh, a concession kind of space off them between 8 a.m. and 4 p.m. And uh, and then the opening hours of the cafe are 9 till 3. And uh, so it, we've done this kind of really clever setup of us using the building and um, selling food at, at that time as a, as a cafe space. Then we close down. Then they open up in the evening as a pub with uh, a pizza business called Coke Lane Pizza that feeds into it. And Daddy's is a kind of a comfort food setup, set up in December 2019. Um, the setup that I just described to you there uh, kind of mitigates against the high cost of rates and the rising rents and everything like that to allow us all a crack at the whip of our dream, I suppose. All of us are very good at what we do. We're all very talented in our, in our field. Um, so it allows us all to uh, express that uh, in a really good way. Um, and then 12 weeks later, the little pandemic Lovato reared its head. And um, so we got through that and um, in, in many different ways, it was a struggle. Um, and not that we're fully out of it yet, but now we're facing into other problems like like, we're, like you just talked about there. 
Um, but that we'll get into more. But that's kind of a summation of, of kind of how uh, we came to being and how it's gone so far. And then we, we won uh, Best Cafe in Ireland in uh, early November uh, 20, 2021 <laughs> uh, from uh, the Business Post Food & Wine Awards. Uh, and that was really exciting. And yeah, we've we've we've, we've worked hard to to uh, make our mark. It's been really really exciting. We don't we've no intentions of going anywhere any, anytime soon. But that is going to depend on how the next um, while goes economically. Right. So you're a really good example of of these kind of idealized things that people talk about about flexible spaces and multi use spaces and and local produce and all that kind of stuff. Um, so you're really well positioned, I suppose, to kind of discuss the, the, the types of things that independent businesses are facing. Um, Andrea, give us a short history of, of Tropical Popical. Tropical Popical opened 10 years ago. It's been 10 years of joy. We do a lot of nails, uh, search around and put us on the map with Alan. And we did an exhibition in the National Gallery. We've won Beth Nailbar a couple of times. Well, actually, maybe four or five times. And uh, it's the most stunning decision I've ever made to run a business that's based on joy as opposed to meeting targets and uh, creating a hub in the city to be uh, a creative outlet, but also a place where people can go to make themselves feel better because it's positive palm all the time and um, anyone can get their nails done in terms of their body size how they feel about themselves and have uh, 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 make themselves feel better so we kind of go on the on the basis of we're here to make your day a bit brighter whether it's through your nails or through your experience and we'll be 10 years in November fantastic and you've also kind of spoken an awful lot about resisting you know, um, kind of expansion culture and, and franchise culture and, and that kind of thing and making the core of it really um, rooted in, in community and stuff. And I think that a lot of um, business owners really aspire to that kind of stuff to not like automatically just commodify success, I guess. So that's kind of a, a thing that I've always been inspired by, by your kind of business approach. Um, Colm, obviously the pandemic was a massive struggle for for small businesses like yours. You've touched on that a little um, how did you get through it and what supports did you avail of and how did they help? Um, so we got through it by um, like, like staying positive um, and like, and, and kind of connecting with the community when, when things were really, really uh, tight as in like two kilometer rules, five kilometer rules, we were kind of just all in it together in this little uh, hub in Rialto and then this kind of surrounding environs. And um, you knew you, you knew you were going to see everyone nearly every day. The supports we got um, were uh, we got the wage subsidy uh, support, which is a massive help. It definitely it definitely is what kept us open um, for the past two years. Um, and then other supports that you could avail of were only um, only available in on a rates based uh, basis. So so a setup like ours, we actually weren't able to avail of all the other grants and things because they only came down to an address as opposed to we were a few businesses in one building. Um, so that kind of setup wasn't, um, wasn't really uh, allowed for. I checked, I tried, tried calling city council a few times and, and, and things like that, but that's the way the setup for it was. So, um, uh, that, that was fine. Um, we, the, the building did get some grants that we tried to share in different ways, but, um, you know, three businesses, we've loads of staff. It, it, it didn't, um, we didn't get to avail of everything. However, we did our best. We got, uh, 
we weren't by any means um, not supported, uh, but the wage subsidy was was massive, a massive, massive help. Mm. And, um, and, and I guess you just, also did did um, you know that you 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 diversified and you changed as so many businesses had to do on the fly with with takeaway stuff with yeah. picnic baskets with all that kind of stuff that exactly. kind of those innovations that people had to come up with yeah exactly yeah we we, we did uh, everything turned to takeaway the whole menu went in, in terms of like what can we do in a box what's edible from a box and then just trying to think about all of that kind of stuff in a v- environmental like eco packaging biodegradable way um, so we put a lot of effort into that. And then it was all just about the, keeping the, the atmosphere of the place happy and everything. So when people came to the door, we have music playing. It was just like a positive vibe to try and keep us, uh, keep the experience still like a, a, a positive uh, one for everybody. Um, but yeah, we, we did a lot of that, that takeaway stuff um, for, and went through a, a, a lot of uh, different changes, changed into retail and um, and then dipping into a lot of independent suppliers from around the country who also were finding things difficult. Um, but I think that kind of interdependence uh, helped us all through it. Mm. Andrea, your experience was obviously very different because you're so customer facing. The customer has to come into the building and, you know, talking to you throughout the pandemic about all the stuff that you're doing around screens and air filtration, all that kind of stuff. What supports did you avail of and did they help? Um, and how long were you closed for actually? Uh, 7,000 years. Um, we were closed for a good lot of the pandemic. So we were kind of, we got sporadic bursts of being able to open, but we uh, were on the pup because, because we were fully closed. We had no way of creating an income. And because we're the model of our business was is of customer facing, but it also is productless. So we kind of a lot of the time I did question like what the ethos of our business was, how fallible it was, because suddenly when you take away what your business is and like it, it kind of puts you in this weird headspace because you're like, I should have diversified and did loads of other things. So if this happened, I w- would have been OK. But then you're like. Why would your Why would you create a business for something that might happen in terms of like not, customers not being able to come into your shop? So, it, like, there was a lot of uh, things that went through my head in that space of like maybe we should have uh, made products because then we'd be in a better place. But I suppose there's not gone effects, and you can't foresee what's going to happen. So maybe if we had made products, uh, the products uh, might have come from Ukraine and a war started there and that would have stopped that. So you can't prepare for every eventuality. So I think that the learning for that was that you have to be true to your business of what it is and not try and cater for every eventuality that might bring you down. Um, difficult as that may, be, may have been during the time. But so we had all our staff were on the pup and then we had a rates break um, as well but what we will probably come to the problems in a while what happened then is when we did open back up again we were landed in with all a backstory of rates while we were starting to try to get back on our feet because again we made decisions to close when we were allowed open but when COVID was going uh, mental uh, around Christmas time so our staff could have a meaningful Christmas huh? um, and uh, so we lost out on our big kind of biggest time where we make up our money that sees us through a, a more 
fr- uh, frugal January. Um, so then when we came back in January, we had all our rates coming back that were like, last minute, last notice, you have to pay this now. Then we were catching up on our uh, VAT and PAYE. So, um, yeah, that's kind of what we did on the veld. Um, go um, on, Colin. Well, I think as well, like the the for for us, um, like we had thirteen staff, um, and then we went down to th- we were operating it with the, uh, like a really different mini model with three staff. Um, shout out to Vicky and Adam, and um, and then we kind of like tried to build up some staff again as there was like an opening and then a closure. And we we all know how much that was. It was like up down up down up down, and. Um, and that like definitely had like a massive toll on on that risk that Andrea was talking about of like, oh, should I diversify into another product or oh, should I add something else? Because you kind of felt you did feel these external pressures to try make money and hi- and hire people again. But then you see their faces when you like maybe can't fulfill um, all of those things or give them hours because you're in and out of this merry dance, you know. Mm. Um, so it was also just about staying safe in a shell for the for the team that you had brought back and maybe reopening slowly was definitely more of a of a model that that i i thought we should uh, stick to so we so we slowly increased how many people we had and didn't rush into every time there was an open up we we took a week or two to see how that was reacting before we we fully reacted to it ourselves you know how it reacted in communities and stuff let's talk about the crux of the issue now because all I'm hearing from various people is that there is kind of like multiple really serious difficulties now with regards to small businesses. Um, I'm going to get to some of the unseen costs in a bit like insurance and, and rent and all that kind of stuff and how they've changed. But I want to talk first of all about the staffing crisis. Um, it's happening across all sectors, all industry but I think particularly with regards to businesses that actually had to close during the pandemic and or really um, uh, lose a lot of staff, basically, albeit maybe temporarily, and how and so many people left different industries. Colm, what is staff hiring and retention like uh, like for you right now? Like, do you see what's happening as a staffing crisis, basically? Yeah. Um, sorry, I just took a massive deep breath there when you were asking that question because I was like, how long have you got? <laughs> um, so it's just um, like, we're just losing. Um, like, So I'll just give you the for instance that I have. Um, we had a, a really lovely chef who's moved to another industry. I moved to uh, a tech industry. And then I have another chef who's moving to Australia. Um, they're, they're obviously setting up a really appealing setup there recently, if you didn't see it, where there's 10 euro flights. Um, and so you just have to get your trail finders visa thing sorted. And uh, there's two, there's 20 10 euro flights or 210 euro flights, one or the other, two zero in some direction. Um, but uh, that's a lot of people and especially a lot of young people who would be in our industry working in um Working as maybe trainee chefs and maybe going up, the, going up the thing, going up the ranks. So chef is on their visa, uh, the the skills that they need over there. I don't think it's on ours here, um, and we have been asking for that for a while now, so that we can try uh, attract atten- uh, uh, skills from from other places. 
we don't like it's no secret you walk around town you walk around i was down in the hinch i was over in galway i was like everywhere needs chefs i have friends justin kai needs a chef like everywhere needs a chef um right now and it's it, it comes down to them that you can't open um so you then might have have you might have uh, a full um complement of front of house staff but without the chefs to open uh, the full week then those front of house staff are their hours are being cut and then they can't survive so then they might move on to something else as well and so you're actually hardening that that um situation of being open less days a week um how's that uh, so- happened to you this this exa- is exactly what's happening to me. I've I've gone down to five days a week now at the moment. So, and the chef who the chef who's on the five days a week is the one who's moving to Australia. He's just waiting to get all of his paperwork through. So it's currently a ticking uh, bomb of a situation where if he it needs to go before I uh, I fully re- restaff again, then um, then I don't know. Like. Um, so we're trying to we're, we're trying our best. I feel like this. I feel like this, there are staff out there that and that. Um, but the, but I feel like they're they're moving industries and they're moving away. And there's nothing really keeping them here. Like it's too expensive. It's too expensive for you to try and live any kind of a life with any kind of quality uh, in in or near this city. Um, and get and get to uh, if you, if you're like oh well maybe live a bit, little bit further out well like if you if everybody in Dublin wants their coffees at eight a.m. or whatever how is that person supposed to get to the bloody cafe because there aren't buses running especially on the weekends and stuff like that so you're asking the government or or we we are all asking for a setup that like just doesn't exist and everything's just more and more expensive than the threat of the return of the 13.5% fat rate, which I know yesterday they said they leave the 9% possibly for the rest of the year. But then you're just like staring into a further crisis, the deepening it or, or kicking the can down the road and we haven't solved anything. Um, the rent, as we all know, is, is out of control. The rent is out of control for the, for the premises. Uh, the energy prices are out of control for the premises. So everything is going up. And um, and nothing is staying the same. Even Jesus, if it stayed the same, at least you could probably try mitigate the problem. But it's not even staying the same. So yeah. How much of a role do you think the housing crisis is playing in the staffing crisis right now? A huge one. Um, like employers have started uh, posting on Insta stories saying, uh, you know, there's a fifty euro voucher or there's a hundred euro voucher for someone who can help me find uh, a, a room for my for, for my, one of my team, because if they can't find a room for one other team, then they might have to move back to another part of the country to live with their parents, or they might have to leave the country because they're like, why am I here? Like the amount of people who are acquaintances or um, ex-colleagues of mine who have moved over to Amsterdam and London uh, in the past while, just because even that jump is, it's, 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 um, it's it's easier for them like you know they're kind of like it's it's as easy as moving down the road for them you know just pack a bag and get out of here at least they know they can survive there and life is easier there for them um and and um and it's because it's 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 the it's the cost of living crisis with the rent and the housing in particular that they can't find a room that the rooms are gross and they see their they see other people um elsewhere um there's no uh to see other people elsewhere with nicer situations. And why wouldn't you want to go? You're in that part of your life where it's like, 
I want these experiences. I've been inside for two years. You know, I want to live this summer. Um, and you, you hardly de de deny them that if they, if they can find it. Um, so it's definitely, it's playing a massive, massive part. Yeah. Andrea, the majority of your staff are young women, right? What is your situation with staff hiring and retention and people leaving right now? Um, we have been pretty lucky that all our staff came back after the pandemic. Um, but since then, the the increases in people's uh, rents and the cost of living has meant that they're just like, I just can't do this anymore. And we are we, we take care of our staff um, very well. And um, even with that, in terms of like, of like rent their rent went up I think an extra three or four hundred euro they're like that's just not sustainable and um, so one of our staff one of our, our great team member who uh left and went to Berlin um and it was just like I just can't survive here so that was the start we've lost one a great team member but in terms of then trying to get new staff it's nay on impossible because the pandemic changed so much for small businesses and the staff because a you had so many people just starting up their own stuff and that that's always been a problem in the beauty industry of people start doing nixers then they get a shed out their back garden and then they're like i'm making all this money tax-free why would i ever go back into work in uh in a taxable business um where i get a wage that's taxed so it's like it, it's like that's one. Two is um, a lot of uh, the stability was challenged with the pandemic because you didn't. And I think it's more a psychological thing because this could happen to any industry or, and uh, what you don't know what's going to happen. And I suppose that's the thing about life. You never know what's going to happen in the future, not just in a pandemic. But the 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 stability was taken away from us. And that, so that plays with your mind and you're like, I need to go and get myself a secure job where I know there's no chance involved in having to go to work. So in that case, you see a lot more people picking desk bound jobs or where you can work from home. So there's been a real big psychological mm. impact from that. Yeah. And um, another thing is the decentralization of the city um, where everybody moved out uh, to their uh, to their like suburbs essentially because we have a very low living in the city rate and uh, everyone was in their locality and was thriving on the community involved in local living and wanted to keep that up and then when the when the city center came back this is specifically for towns um centers when the uh, city center opened back up again what you see is there was a drain on facilities amenities that hadn't existed in the first place and when you take out all the other stuff that was propping that up there's less and less reason to want to go into the city center for work so whereas before I know when I started back in my day, when I was uh, like 15 to 20 working in casual jobs in the city, um, the buzz that I, like that, that that enticed me into the city to want to go because I knew I'd go to work. Then I'd go out and meet pals after work. The glamour and glitz and the energy of the city was there, whereas that's changed a lot where um, now it's starting to come back bit by bit. But what you're, you're really seeing the gaps that are in the city um, in terms of planning, in terms of facilities, in terms of 
uh, the, the all the small businesses that are leaving because obviously rents are going up um, and it's and rates are there and it's harder and harder to make it work in the city because people aren't coming in retail is dying off as in terms of um, an in-person experience and I suppose only now are there conversations in in the councils of like how we have to make our city more than a retail space for so long it was just go into town to buy stuff there was no kind of mixed medium of what was available as a city center so that's now uh, it was on the agenda i think last week or something it's like babes it's a bit late for this conversation isn't it for god's sake so you have and then also the same way people are looking at seeing other people's lives being better and more spacious. I think more spacious is the thing for less money in other places. It's the same with businesses. So businesses are like I could pay this huge rent in the city centre and get a small room or I could move out to like Ranla or Rat Mines or eat further and get a big, huge space and pay way less. Plus I have the benefit of the local community. Then I have the local coffee shop, blah, blah, blah. So all the, these ecosystems that were created during the pandemic in the localities are thriving. Brilliant. Um, uh, but you're, we, we really are noticing a drain in the city. So that's really difficult then to get staff to come in, to buy into coming into the city centre because what are they buying into anymore? Um, and so, it's, yeah, it is very difficult. Plus the cost of living. So wages have to go up as well, um, which is right. Um, so it, all in all, it's just what do we do? And we work in a, in a business that is volume led. So we only make money through volume so we need a certain amount of staff to be doing a certain number of treatments for us to cover our costs and when you take the volume out of that then that makes it very difficult for us to cover costs that like that the let's say other people who are then working on a tax-free basis don't have to incur and also uh things like uh insurance building insurance staff insurance um HR requirements that are becoming more prevalent in terms of just, I don't know, there's a lot more, you need to watch, watch your back a little bit more. People are kind of coming for you a bit more. Um, and yeah, there's just a lot of mounting, mounting costs to do business in an ethical way that obviously you want to do. Um, but if you're going to do it and then there's a, a disconnect between you doing that and other people not, and then they can get away with doing it cheaper. That's another thing. So as well as the cost of living issue, you've got the moral and ethical stuff on top of that. And like for a business that is about community and doing the right thing, that makes it even harder. Yeah, yeah I think I like think what Andrew is saying there, like on top of it, and I think what Andrew is saying there, like on top of the housing issue, like the, the, the just the cost of the cost of so many things going up, and, and then also the kind of the the all those other things that are exiting um people that are moving away are also or people who are moving abroad are also moving away because of the disappearance of cultural spaces and stuff like that because uh, i know a lot of people as well like i mentioned that moved to amsterdam one uh, a person in particular who had tried to set up their own um cultural evening that wasn't based around alcohol or anything like that it was kind of based around storytelling and stuff like that but anything that they were trying to do just felt like it was being wiped out and made made more and more difficult. Um, and especially then, I think a breaking point for a lot of those people was um, the famous Portobello Plaza uh, debacle when people were just like trying to 
go to the places they were squeezed to and then further again being infantilized and just told no and wrapped across the knuckles for this, that and the other and just trying to be humans and interact in whatever way they were being told. You know, they were told, don't do this, do that. So then they did that. And then it was like, well, no, don't do it that way. And it was just, it was constant. And so you can imagine in your energetic uh a 25 year old self um or whatever that you just be like oh, this i'm gonna go yeah. um, and experience something else yeah and there's then, kind of a and, feeling that like living in dublin is kind of like being in school <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly exactly it's just kind of like uh, you're kind of just constantly being told no no stop that no i didn't mean it like that and <laughs> and and actually and that'll cost you more and it's like ah. I think as well, Andrea. <laughs> you touched, actually, sorry, Andrea. I think you touched on something yeah. like about like the brand of Dublin as a place to be working as well. Because I know, like when I used to be a waitress, I was waitressing out in Dunleary for years, and that was great. And then I got a job in a restaurant in town, and it was really like, oh, now you're working in town. You've stepped up, and now mm. that just feels like it's like, oh, you're working in town. What a mare. <laughs> Yeah, you can't get in, you can't get out. There's no public transport or taxis that to facilitate that. But also something else that I think is really important to say is that as we've kind of gone through the Celtic Tiger and gone through whatever, and then the pandemic, where highlighted the importance of service workers and people who make the city work or make the the world work uh, in providing services on a day to day basis, has kind of been uh, uh, in terms of. Uh, a definition of success it's kind of changed as we've kind of moved towards a tech world that we prioritize tech as the like oh my god i get a free breakfast in google it's the best job ever as opposed to the weight we put on the importance of the people who make the day-to-day of the world work yeah. in terms of food production food service food delivery and um, nails hairdressers like all the people who are who need to who you need in your life and in the world to, to make a function, the kind of importance of that has been taken away and put on this fake world that is not really like, okay, okay. Now I'm getting into like into these jobs that don't mean anything, but like, obviously how would you, how would you access your data center if you didn't have those jobs? Um, but I think because, because of this infrastructure of success and also how the people who are doing well are those with assets and like investment as opposed to actually people who are doing the work that we need and without making a shift in uh, culture and in I think legislation and how we um how we look at those roles in our society um, and reward them, I think is really detrimental to where we're going in the world. Mm, I mean, that's kind of like a, a global issue and an existential issue, but at the same time, you know, there's countless other cities uh, and countries all over the place where people just are not struggling the amount that people are struggling in Ireland, where the cost of living isn't as high, where you can actually have a thriving social life, where you can be an artist and still be able to go out for dinner, you know, without yeah. dropping 150 quid or something like that, you know? Yeah, exactly. And Colin, exactly. I want to talk as well. Go on. I'm sorry. No, I was just saying, I think and David McWilliams made that really interesting point the other day in the paper about, you know, how the people who uh, are, have the asset-led wealth have become astronomically more um, wealthy over the past uh, few years, whereas people who have like a wages-led um, 
uh, or who work in those traditional industries have become poor. And this is this is the struggle that we're seeing. Yeah. I want to touch on um, a big, big topic, which is energy costs. How much have your energy costs gone up? Column. So, it's an insane amount. And um, and it's really um, putting a lot of pressure on 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 the on the business and on on I guess like in the summertime um, you you don't have the heating costs so this is going to become really more apparent in the winter time when the when the when the, when that kind of pendulum swings back and um, so we're trying to look at things like we might have to invest in new appliances we might have to try um, you know da 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 which. Um, which is that then you're, you're kind of looking, staring down the path of if I have to invest in new appliances that are costing a lot of money and have a, a good wait list, um, uh, like, um, is this going to sink us or will we be okay? Or, um, you know, all of that kind of thing. Because the, the energy bills, um, I don't have one in front of me uh, right this moment, but they've they've just they've they've just shot up. They've they've doubled. Um, you could you could just say for 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 the sake of it, they've doubled because they in 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 essence, um, uh, one one has gone up a, like maybe sixty five percent, and one has gone up and maybe a little bit less than that. And then there's just like all these, um, yeah, the increased costs of everything, um, and then the the. Uh, Sorry, I'm actually just catching myself there. Um, everything has gone up an insane mm-hmm. amount. Andrea, what about you? Yeah, we're the same. Like our electricity went two or three times. Um, yeah. And like finally, like what is the outlook as you see it? Like and what solution, what one thing government or, or the council could do right now that would help you and that would help businesses survive? Um, well, there just needs like the, like our insurance costs went up 400% there in, in November um, for, for no reason whatsoever. Um, I was told that the, um, that the reason for it was the fabric of the building. But I, I was saying that the fabric of the building hasn't changed from when I first got the insurance two years ago. So could 400%. they give me a bit? 400%. Yeah. Um, we haven't, haven't had an issue, haven't claimed on the insurance, etc. Um, and I was just kind of more or less being like laughed at, um, like, well, that's it now, you know, that kind of way. Um, and there's, uh, there's just, it kind of feels like people are just like, Oh, well, price are going up. I'm going to, we can charge more. So that's just it. Prices are up. Yeah. It's just like that. Well, that's it. And it's like, well, insurance is, not that it, it like and I, obviously there's a tangible element to it, but it's kind of a concept on a on a place that like everybody like a lot of people in in insur- in um, service industry would know that it's not really worth claiming on your insurance, but you have to legally have it. But it's at least it's there. So like for it to go up four hundred four hundred percent when you haven't even claimed on the bloody thing, um, is wild. So that's when I that's what I what I mean by how you can just kind of say that the bills have doubled because across the board it might be four hundred there and sixty five here and blah blah blah. So when you add when you add everything up, it's just like oh my bills are double. And obviously the minimum wage went up, which it should. Like that's where my main focus would be would be to have everybody earning a bit more so that they can live in the city, so we don't lose them. So the dream at least is kept alive, and we can try juggle everything else. And um, so supports for me. 
or like, you know, freezing energy prices and doing something about regulating the insurance sector, my God, so that stuff like that can't happen. Like that just shouldn't be allowed, like uh, without reason, you know, like I didn't change the fabric of that building. And yes, that was what was being put to me. It was like it was it was like it was a scrunched up paper pulled out of a jar. Like what we'll say to him today. Um, And uh, then I think the 9% fat rate, like I, I know a lot of people are like they've had enough that the 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 benefit isn't um passed on to the consumer and to that kind of a of a line i would say that the benefit is being passed on to try and make the business survive and and um any savings that are there are being used uh to invest in 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 the business to try do things that will uh help us through the next while because you 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 stare down the barrel of the next nine months and you're 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 just thinking about um uh i, I guess put, putting a bit of cotton wool around your situations and maybe buying buying something that might mean that you can have four hours less in the kitchen a week that would be a more uh, effective tool um like i don't know a, a machine that slices a ham for me <laughs> or something like that um, so the, the 9% fat rate isn't going to be something that the majority of us independent business owners are going to be like l- lolling all the way to the, to the bank with. A lot of us are going to be uh, using it to uh, protect our staff, and protect jobs. Andrea, one solution do you think would, what do you think would work really well now? One solution would be to focus on um the empty buildings that are spe- being speculated in a commercial capacity yeah. um, and a dereliction uh, capacity to create more space in the city for and cr- take away barriers for small businesses to open. Because a lot of the time, if you do get somewhere that it's like you need to, there's no space for new business opportunities or for uh, people to try out things. There has to be like a historical amount of rent g- given up front, et cetera. So the, at the moment, there's just no way to get into town as a business. So I think yeah. opening up that uh, em- empty properties, whether they're derelict or speculation, speculative, um, I think would be a really th- good thing. Uh, looking at living over shops, as a priority to get people living back in towns um, and also uh, deleting housing for all and building more houses for people who are working um, and not just as investments. Colm and Andrea, thank you so much for your insights. I think that's going to really help uh, listeners understand. Um, and everybody, go get your nails done in Tropical Popco and go eat Thanks delicious so food and drink delicious coffee in Daddy's in Rialto. We're waiting for you. (laughs) (laughs) What's getting in the sea, Andrea? This week, it's kind of a celebratory get in the sea, to be honest. Well, Well, let's be kind. Let's be kind and and legal. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, the facts are. Paul Hyde from ABP has stood 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 aside um, amid claims of impropriety um, around planning decisions that have taken place under his tenure. Just stepping aside for the time for the time being. See what happens. See what happens. <laughs> and what about it's bananas? 
very closely linked. Um, housing for all. It's absolutely bananas that this thing is still going on. It doesn't work. We're in a worse place than we've ever been. And then there was a revealed article came through of how many affordable homes will be built in each county a year. And the numbers are, when you look at them, just absolutely bananas. Like a banana town, banana town, banana town. 76 in Westmeath, 76 in Waterford. Carlo, I think, is like four or something. Um, but Wicklow will see just 30 homes built. <laughs> 30 homes. Like we literally are uh, like cop on Cambodia and get a grip with this housing for all document. We have literally uh, bill to rent coming out our ears. Uh, people are just investment people buying it. Nobody's got a gaff. And then we have 30 houses being built in Wicklow. Which yeah, guess? so-called affordable ones. I saw as well that they're trying to give 120K to developers to um, build a house. To the cost <laughs> that it's going to take them to build versus the cost that they can sell it at. It's like, is anybody questioning why the figures of building an apartment here that are just being like said by developers are so high like it doesn't cost that to build them in other places oh you know building costs they're just going up it's like yeah because it really costs like 350 grand or three or whatever to build a one bed apartment anyway now it's time for (laughs) my favorites fill me with light and joy andrea please uh so Finally, after listening to you go on and on and on and on about how great on Colleen Kuhn was, I went to see it. And it's so good. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. And it's like it's such a lovely, meandering, soft, slow, like story that doesn't really have a plot, but so much happens. So it's like this dichotomy of like everything happening and nothing at the same time. Oh, it's so lovely. It's and beautiful. Also, um, I spent a lot of the time trying not to read the uh, subtitles and it really showed me how much Irish I do know and can understand. Amazing. Occasional Irish would really help you to speak more Irish. And Mm. like I've been putting Irish in as much as I can, but like, I think we just need more of that, please. Yeah, defo, it's gorgeous. What a great, what a great decision, Andrea. More Irish around will help us get better at it. Um, Kelly Harrington's getting the freedom of Dublin. You carry a Kelly Harrington. And Alva Smith. Is she? Yeah, I think so. Oh my God, that's so good. Yeah, I think so. I think she oh. tweeted that on Tuesday, yeah. Oh my God, I'm going to mess her. Uh, I'm going to mess her, huh? Uh, no. The other thing, I'm going to Berlin to see Roisin Murphy again. I'm absolutely bu- egg buzz all as I'd say in Irish. Uh, one, I'll get to see my good pod wife, Una Mulally. Hello. And two, I'll get to see my musical wife, Roisin Murphy. <laughs> Again, oh my God. Uh, anyone who's gone to Berlin, uh, let's have a buzz. Uh, and then also, I caught my eye, Roche, another Roisin Murphy that's not in the music business. She's in the architecture business. She's got a show on Thursday night on RTE called Big City Plan. And it's looking at 
what the plan is for Dublin, I suppose. It's and in terms of all the bill to rent that's come in, all the uh, student accommodation, all the amenities that we've lost. And she's like, what the, what the, what are we going to do? And it's a TV show on, on Thursday. So I think definitely tune into that. Fab. Yes, uh, I can confirm that Alva Smith and Kelly Harrington and uh, Professor Mary Aiken have been awarded the Honorary Freedom of Dublin. Oh, that's so great. Can't wait to be grazing, see Alva grazing her sheep on Stephen's Green or whatever you can do with the freedom of the city. Um, my fave bits, it's here almost, Conversations with Friends is out on May 18th on BBC Three and Hulu and May 18th, May 15th on those channels, May 18th on RTE One. Um, everyone is excited about that. Ovs. And um, <laughs> Andre's just shaking her head. Um, of, and former book of the week, Idol by Louise O'Neill is out now. So if you want an absolute um, buzz of a, of a page turner, really smart, great crack, very funny, dark. Um, Louise on top of her game, uh, pick that book up. But now it is time for book of the week. Book of the week. Okay, so book of the week this week is a big plug um, that I'm giving to Bloody Hell Adventures in Menopause from across the personal and political spectrum. This is a book, an anthology being um, edited by Mona Altahawi. It is on Unbound, which is the crowdfunding book platform, um, which is the platform that uh, I funded the Repeal the Eighth anthology on. So if you guys. I do believe that that is available uh, for a week. Uh, oh yes, I should have said that. Uh, the Repeal the Eighth anthology um, is available for free as an ebook until May thirty first. If you go to unbound.com and search Repeal, you'll 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 be able to download it for free. But Bloody Hell Adventures in Menopause from across the personal political spectrum. If you go to unbound.com and search Bloody Hell, you can fund that book. I'm contributing an essay to it. There's loads of other great writers, including Rebecca Solnit, contributing to it. Um, if you've ever been perplexed or not understood or desired more information on um, menopause and perimenopause that isn't just like random faffy language about change, etc., uh, this is a book that you're going to want to read and fund. Unbound.com, search Bloody Hell and go for it there. This podcast is pre- produced by Andrew Mangan of Castaway Media. Crystal Clear gave us his tuna chicken roll for our soundtrack and Sarah Fox did all of our design. This week's tuna chicken roll, it's Glamour Girl. Uh, by Louis Austin. I've been Una Malali. I've been Andrea Warren. This has been United Ireland. And that was The Small Business Crisis. Every day after work, I go to a bookstore around the corner and I'm going to look for the glossy magazines about fashion and style. And I hope you're inside.
Here the top Here I cry 